0: Today's episode of the Consumer Rundown podcast is sponsored by the Foundry Skincare Company. Are you ready to take your shower game to the next level? Then it's time to switch to the Foundry Skincare Company's all natural soap. The Foundry Skincare Company's soap is made with natural ingredients and is formulated specifically for men. Visit thefoundryskincare.com today to learn more and order your first bar of soap. Give your skin the care it deserves.
1: Welcome to the Consumer Rundown podcast your destination for the people, companies, and trends transforming today's consumer markets. We are your hosts. I'm Penny.
2: And I'm Dimitri. Today, we're talking to John and Ga, the founders of Sea Monsters, a company that makes seaweed pups. Sea Monster snacks are healthy, sustainable, and delicious. In this episode, we'll learn more about their journey to starting Sea Monsters, their approach to creative branding, and their mission to get more people to eat seaweed. John and GA, welcome to the Consumer Rundown Podcast. We're excited to learn more about you and Sea Monsters. Can you tell us about how you got started? What was your background before being founders? And what motivated you to create Sea Monsters?
3: This is our third business together. Both GA and I come from branding and design. GA used to be an associate partner at a branding firm called Pentagram, which is a very well known branding agency. And I used to be the creative director at Pokemon, which is the kids' brand. Subsequently, I was creative director at Equinox, the fitness brand. And for the last 20 years, close to 20 years, G&I have run a creative agency servicing some of the world's biggest brands like Nike and Levi's and Uniqlo. A dozen years ago now, a friend of ours uh, gave us a call and said this brand called Kindbars needs a brand refresh. So we started work on that. And then that was basically the impetus of us doing much more work in the CPG space. And that led to strategy, branding, naming, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, for lots of different clients. And having done that for quite a number of years, we started thinking about what are some of the ideas for white spaces in the snack space and in the CPG space. And GA came home from a restaurant one day where she had tried this amuse-bouche, like a, a seaweed, fried seaweed chip. She said easily the best thing she'd eaten all night. And so we were like, ah, seaweed. And we'd both grown up with seaweed. And both of us being surfers, seaweed is a big part of our lives. We also have kids together. Our kids would just come home from school and they would eat just junk. So our job was to try and sort of elevate the, what they were eating. And so we would try and procure for them whatever great, awesome thing that we found at Whole Foods and whatnot. And we're like, oh, this is the next, a cool organic brand that we find at Whole Foods. And, and they would look at us like, that's for you guys, not really for us. There was really the chasm, really, is. We have this better for you product housed in a brand that says we're better for you. And most people, they see that as other, right? So we wanted to do something that was more contemporary, that spoke to everybody. And that was more just inviting for for people without having to say, hey, we're better for you. But more like, we're just as fun. We're cool, whatever, you know. And our product is, is actually better for you. So, so that's how we started on this journey.
0: I would add to that by saying that fun was something that was kind of missing from a lot of the the snacks that we were finding in the organic natural space. Ultimately, snacks are fun, right? Like you want a full square balanced meal, you eat your meal. If you want a healthy snack, really, you should go get a carrot stick and apple. But we're human and we want diversity. So when you want a salty snack, you want to pull for the thing that makes you feel like it's a little break, a little getaway storytelling and branding is a big part of that the product has to be good it has to be delicious and it has to be delicious in a way that's craveable not just like oh this is good when it feels delicious and healthy but it's more like oh do i want do i want to hit that bag do i want to finish that bag you shouldn't finish a 3.5 ounce bag you should want to finish it it was with the hopes that our kids would eat better But ultimately, John and I just were really into the idea of starting a brand, a product from start to finish. And it's really about what is the product and then how can we take it out to the marketplace?
1: I love that part of the inspiration came from wanting to feed your kids better for you, but also make it fun and interesting for them. Is that part of what went into this really fun branding and you have these like really cute cartoon characters on the the bag and bright colors?
0: It was the way we work is so organic because we have been married for so long and we've been working for so long that when I came home and I said, Oh, I really like the seaweed chip that I just had, and a light bulb came on, right? Like it's like connecting the dots. We're like, Oh, that's interesting. Wait a minute. Is anyone doing anything interesting in that space? We're like, No, actually, no one's doing interesting stuff in the seaweed space.
2: Mm-hmm. And this was
0: like four or five years ago when we first came up with the idea. Um, now you've got a lot more people interested in seaweed as a, an ingredient, which is great because we want we want this to be an ingredient that's in every household pantry whether it's sea monsters or someone else. But then once we had that we're like wait a minute okay then we started to have like fun with like what could this be called? And we went through like this naming exercise of hundreds of names. And it was John who actually landed on sea monsters and then when he landed on that when he added that to our list of inspiration we're like oh and we should have characters. And <laughs> and you know it's great because we live in New York City. We have an incredible Creative community of friends in New York City. John's soccer buddy is an amazing artist by the name of Kevin Lyons. And he has these incredible characters that he creates for his artwork. We approached him with the idea and he's like, really, he was really into it. He's like, oh, I haven't made a cast of sea creatures. Let's do it. We collaborated with him. John and I wanted the, the monsters to be inspired by real life ocean creatures. We Googled, we created a Google slide of all these sea monsters or sea characters creatures that we wanted to be inspired by. And Kevin went away and came back with a bunch of characters. And we narrowed it down, we created the gang. And then it was and then after that, it was like, okay, well, what's the logo? What's the color palette? What does the bag look like? What are the flavors? And then we really kind of dove into what the product should be.
1: My favorite is the sea urchin.
0: It's a perennial favorite, I think, of a lot of
1: people. So what are some of the trends that you guys are seeing in the snacking category right now? Specifically, I think we're seeing a lot of Asian-inspired food really becoming a lot more popular right now. Do you see sea monsters playing in that as part of that trend?
0: We didn't intend for it to be that. We just ended up here along with a bunch of other founders, Asian-American founders who are kind of working in the same space. I think for us, it's about cross-pollinating it's always been about cross-pollinating for us i was born in korea came to the united states but lived abroad john and i met in seoul korea got married in tokyo japan john's a new zealand citizen who also lived in australia um borneo uh where else have you lived John? malaysia malaysia that's right and i lived in guatemala so there's a lot of diverse lived experiences
1: World domination is what I'm hearing <laughs> from the two of you.
0: <laughs> or porous boundaries and inspiration <laughs> that floats from country to country. that's where my head was. John, do you have anything to add to that?
3: I think we come from really having a mission. And, you know, this this is really a mission-driven company. And our mission is to just get more people to eat more seaweed, right? And how do we do that? Like if you put a, a bowl of seaweed in front of most people, Dimitri. I don't know if you would eat a full bowl of seaweed, but you know, I would be challenged and I've grew, I've grown up with, with seaweed. And, you know, unless you have it presented in a way that's a little more familiar, it is a big daunting task, right? So I think that's how we started down this path. It wasn't, oh, we're going to create like the next big Asian snack. The challenge is to just get these people to eat more seaweed or think of seaweed as something that's not outside of their realm of possibility that they would eat you know every day but how do we house it so that it's it's familiar and it's just like it's just quotidian like it's it's not a you don't even have to think about it it's just like oh of course of course i eat seaweed every day so that that really was our approach rather than like oh let's be the next big asian influence something or other I'm, i'm so you know, at so many of these amazing brands that, that have been coming up. We've been meeting with a lot of these founders and a lot of them are doing fantastic work and, you know, their brands are doing fantastically. We didn't have that intention from the start. I think that's my point.
2: That makes
1: a lot of sense. Tell us a little bit more about why people should eat more seaweed. I imagine it to be very sustainable.
3: Well, seaweed is actually tremendously nutritious and it's actually very tasty once you get used to it. And it's also a zero input crop. When you plant seaweed, you don't have to put any fertilizer in it. You don't have to water it. You just put it in the ocean and it grows and it's regenerative. It, it works with the, the other fauna, flora in, in the environment. It's basically part of that, that environment. So it, you're not placing anything extraneous within that system. Whereas land-based agriculture is something where you clear the land and then you plant something that's not that doesn't belong to that land and then you let it grow and then you add a bunch of stuff to it and hopefully it'll turn out to be this end product that you can sell. So, you know, even in in our sorghum, so our, our puffs are made out of seaweed and sorghum. Sorghum is, is an ancient grain, but it's wonderful because it, at the way our sorghum is, is produced, it's it's a no-till agriculture. So they leave the roots in the soil. It puts nutrients back into the soil when, when it's cultivated. It's flood and drought resistant. Overall, it's so much better for the farmers to have a crop that doesn't really disturb the land as much. And we're really cognizant of those kinds of stories in our ingredients when we put the product together. In thinking about the sorghum, the seaweed, we're always trying to find ways to be a little bit better. Maybe we're not going to be able to fix the world's problems today, but we can try and be a little bit better in, in the way we source things or the way. We put things together as an offering for our our company.
0: And both ingredients are carbon sequestering. Just by nature of growing it, having a supply and demand for it, we're capturing the carbon that exists, you know, and sinking it away from the environment, which is terrific.
2: That's really cool that as a brand, you're committed to sustainability. A lot of people are probably familiar with seaweed, but may not be as familiar with sorghum. Can you tell us more about it?
0: It's actually from Asian Africa. And in the United States, uh, it's used heavily in in the South, I believe. It's really like kind of having a moment because people are realizing that it's Mm -hmm. gluten-free, that it's nutrient-dense, and uh, you can grow it no-till.
3: It's grown mostly in Kansas and around Kansas. There are a lot of farms in that area that that grow the grain, but it basically looks like a tiny little popcorn, but it's gluten-free, as GA says.
1: That's very cool. We'll definitely keep an eye on, on that because traditional pups are made from corn meal,
3: right? Correct. And corn is is very water intensive. The way they clear the the land for the for agriculture is not great. It's GMO corn for the most part these in the marketplace. And we're non GMO Project verified. We're one percent for the planet. We're trying to trying to do things a little bit better.
0: And I also think we leaned into sorghum. Paired with seaweed because it tastes better. We mm. like the nutty crunch of it and the way we're extruding it with sorghum and seaweed. It gives it a kind of a little bit more density than other puffs that are more light and airy. For us, that was intentional. We like the mouthfeel, we like the crunchy texture, but it's like crunch, but it has substance to it. So you feel like you're eating something substantive rather than air. So we like that combination. We tried a ton of different grains. And ultimately, the story behind sorghum, its climate friendliness, but also its taste was the driving force behind that decision.
2: me, Sea Monsters is a great example of how emerging food brands can create delicious and nutritious food products that are also good for the environment. When you were first starting out, what challenges did you face in product development or marketing? Have you overcome those challenges?
0: How many, how many challenges? How much time do we have? If I knew... Back then, what I know now, I'm not sure that we would have gotten started, to be honest, because there are so many, there's so much friction to developing, at least in this product category, like John and I didn't know that to make puffs, you need an extrusion machine. we were like, oh, we could approximate it in a kitchen. We'll work, we'll figure it out with a chef. Mm -mm, There's no way to do a puff benchtop test kitchen. You've got to find an extrusion machine. They're very expensive. You have to book line time. An extrusion machine is like simple, but complicated. All these levers get you a completely different product, which is fascinating to me and I love it, but from temperature, speed, die head, the amount of water in the mix, every little variable yields a different product, which we didn't know at the time. And that's why it took us so long to get to the marketplace because John and I must have trialed four or five times over the course of several years. Because the machine actually makes a huge difference to the, the product that you get. Because we we didn't find the product that we were like, delicious. When our kids said delicious, we were like, okay, great. We got it. And, uh, that's when we're like, all right, let's get the sales team. Let's get the distribution. Let's get it out to the market. And that's really l- end of last year. End of last year, we brought in a, a sales team who then helped us gain distribution at Kehi and UNFI. And we were very fortunate because it is considered an innovation product because there's nothing quite like it. We were brought into Kehi as an elevate brand, which is they bring, I think, four brands within each category every two years to kind of give high touch point mentoring and um just a lot of like support. And we got the same, we were we were brought into UNFI with the same program. It's called Up Next. So we have really great partnerships at the distributors, the two main ones in the organic natural space. But yeah, it was a long process to get here. Everyone said co-packer is really important and, it, and they're right. Finding the right mm-hmm. partner to make your product with is important. Finding suppliers that you really love, ingredient suppliers, but making sure that the margins are good. Making sure now that we're in distributors, not to open too fast, too many doors. There's like a million things. But the, what I love about what we're doing is we've never done this before, which puts us at a little bit of a disadvantage, but. Also, in some ways, I think can be an advantage because we're new to it. So we're looking at it with a completely new lens, right? So all the traditional rules of engagement in CPG, like we're learning about it, but we don't we don't hold it as a Bible because we're like, well, yeah, that's interesting. Like you do it this way, but maybe we can do it this way. We just watched a YouTube video and someone was giving a talk about how to really like get the most out of your career in your life. And one of the things He said, how is the killer of dreams? And it's actually true. If we knew the how four or five years ago, it would have killed the dream. And I'm really (laughs) glad we didn't. It was tough, but it's been fun all along because we're learning something new and we really believe in our product.
2: It sounds like you and John have faced a lot of challenges in developing and launching Sea Monsters, but it's also clear that you're both passionate and you're not afraid to learn. I think that's an important skill and mindset for founders. What's been the pitch to distributors?
3: The distribution wasn't the hard part. We raised a, a friends and family round early on, and we had a bunch of people believe in us early on, which was fantastic. And we'd never pitched for money before. And so, you know, you just, you don't know what you don't know, right? So you go into these things blind. And But now, you know, we've we've done that. We've raised a little bit more money through a seed round. And we've talked to distributors. We've done our sales pitch at retail. There's so many things that, that no one ever tells you you're going to have to do that going into a journey like this but once you do it you're like wasn't that bad we actually have an external sales team that's been super helpful and they already had a lot of the relationships with the distribution companies we have heard some horror stories of people that jump in too soon with certain distributors and they have really onerous contracts with distributors that equate to equity or something like that and if anyone's listening don't do that. Don't sign a contract with your distributor if they're asking for equity. That's just something that's just not done. And we've heard all kinds of crazy horror stories. We've been lucky so far. I'm gonna knock on wood here on my head. We have a terrific relationship with Kehi and UNFI so far. And they've been selling us into their retail partnerships. The path forward is to just keep on keeping on.
2: I'm also glad to hear that you're building strong relationships with distributors. That's essential for any CPG brand to compete these days. It's great that they're seeing the value in Sea Monsters. Why do you think Sea Monsters resonates with consumers? And who are the target customers?
3: I think we're still exploring and, and learning about our consumers. We're slowly starting to put ourselves out there you know, on social media and just learning more about the kinds of people that are buying the product. We had a certain idea of who the consumer was. I think we're being really surprised by all different people from all walks of life that that are like, hey, I checked out your product. and." I really liked it. Or here's what I liked about this and that. It's been a really big surprise to see real life when you actually meet your consumer, like how different your version of, of who they are and who they actually are and how, what that broad range of people is. It's quite staggering. It's actually quite the most exciting part of this journey.
0: On the surface of things, we may look like a kid's brand but we always say it's for kids of all ages. And I think that's one of the reasons why we leaned into a very sort of different variety of flavor seasonings. So on the one hand, we've got creamy, tangy, sour cream and onion. Mm-hmm. We've got cheese pizza. You got to have a cheese puff somewhere. But then we start to get a little spicy with sweet chili and eventually spicy Korean barbecue. And we're finding that spicy Korean barbecue is killing it in certain demographics. Like for instance, Dash Mart, some of the stores that are near colleges. Mm -hmm. Fresh Direct, we just launched doing a killer business on spicy Korean barbecue. The other ones are doing respectable, but you can see that in certain demographics, spicy Korean barbecues is leading the pack. Other demographics where you have more children and sensitive palates, sour cream and onion is doing awesome. I have a feeling that we have moms and dads, kids, but we also have anywhere from 13 to like 24 and then we have older folks who just love to snack and are looking for something new we're a new brand so I I suspect at this point people who are picking us up are interested in new things and oftentimes they probably are mission focused and are interested in trying new ingredients that are better for their bodies and for the environment
1: how do you approach getting repeat customers or customer engagement how do you think about that
0: that's a good question. We're just starting to launch our marketing programs now that we've hit retailers. Sprouts was the first national retailer to roll us out. We're experimenting with digital sampling uh, programs, mm-hmm. um, whether it's a BOGO or a free bag on us just to trial us. We are also following up with referrals and, re- you know, and uh, retention. And what we're finding is that our retention numbers are really good. I think because the packaging is so poppy and interesting and the the product is so new and innovative. I think if you're into that, you're going to pick us up. You're going to try it. And if you like the flavor, you're going to pick it up. So far, the redemptions on trialing has been phenomenal. It's close to 40%, which is pretty good. Love seeing that. Our referral and retention numbers are pretty high too. We haven't spent a lot of time in social media because we just haven't had the bandwidth. We have it on our to-do list, and we're really excited to do that portion of the brand building because it's actually what we do best. We're like the triage team. We're the co-CEOs, but we're also the garbage collectors and the build pairs. Things that other people can't do, we end up doing. So as we load that off our plate, we can start to focus more at our core expertise, which is thinking strategically about how we're going to build this business but how are we really going to market it, how we're going to let people know about us and what we want to say when we go through that push. The brand storytelling building is what we love and what our expertise lies.
2: Your packaging is a big selling point. It's eye-catching, it's new, and it's innovative. I want to take a step back from what we've seen. Many CPG founders start with a direct-to-consumer model. It can take them a few years to build up their business and get into retail, while spending a significant amount of money on customer acquisition. For Sea Monsters, you were able to skip that step and go straight to retail. Was this due to your professional experience, which gave you credibility with distributors, or was it the product itself that drove those conversations?
3: We've been surveying the landscape for several years now and looking at our competitors, looking at other brands that we love. And DDC is really expensive. I think a lot of the brands that you see right now are pivoting from DDC to to get into retail. Mm -hmm. And that's a really smart move because... Traditional retail is how you grow brands. You have to have an omnichannel approach and traditional retail is a big part of our omni-channel approach. We've been speaking to a lot of friends and, and founders and industry people who have been super helpful with all kinds of different knowledge and opinions. And I think the smartest path forward is the one that we chose, which is establish ourselves in traditional retail, create the partnerships where we can have a continuous business that can sustain itself and then look at additional channels of revenue through brand extensions, product line extensions. But I think diving headlong into a DTC quagmire wasn't really part of the plan. I think we've just been super careful about our approach for everything. And this is part of that exercise.
0: Like John said, we've had three businesses in very different segments. We launched a magazine in mid 2000s John and I were the designers, the publishers, and the creative directors. And then we went to a creative agency and now we have a consumer package goods uh, business. And throughout all of that, you learn a lot because it's experience. It's not the same industry, but it's experience nonetheless and gut checks yep. and relationships. We have deep relationships with really great smart people, um, with also deep pockets, which helped us when we were fundraising we we came with it with a lot of experience we also knew early on that for our product because it's big but light d2c was not a model that was going to work for us the margins are too little because the shipping fee would just kill us if you have a small product that's that's light and you could pack a lot your margins are much much higher d2c or even amazon But we also know that retail is kind of a marketing, not a strategy, but it's a marketing opportunity. It's eyeballs. You've got captive audience walking through the the groceries. And we knew that we had an innovation product, which helps. If you have an innovation product, and especially for organic natural distributors who are always looking for those new products because their customers are looking for it. We had a solid product. We had great branding because that's what we know we do, our expertise. And we knew that uh, we had a customer. So it made sense to us. But I think there's no wrong journey. It's just your journey. And I think it's a confluence and intersection of a lot of variables. We made lemonade out of lemons, if you want to call it. We had really good lemons. They were Meyer lemons. So we made really great premium lemonade. I think just be curious, be tenacious. Don't give up. John is actually far more of a rose-colored glass guy than I am. At any given point, I was like, I quit. He's like, no, we're not gonna do that. Remember, we took money, <laughs> we can't quit, which is actually another, once <laughs> you take money, you cannot quit. Right, right. So he's he's the perennial optimist, which is awesome because I'm such a pragmatist in many ways that I was like, oh my God, the house are killing the dream. But the beauty of it is we're here. Um, we have a lot of runway uh, in terms of doors that we're opening. We just finished a round of fundraising. We have a terrific team. We have a product people seem to like and believe in. So we'll see where it goes.
1: And I think, like you said, being smart and strategic about the direction and which retailers you go into probably makes a big difference too. I think Sprouts is a great place to be in. Sprouts is the place I go to, to discover new snacks and things like that. We always see things in Sprouts that we don't really see anywhere else where we don't see for a while.
3: And what one thing, if you do find like a brand that you you love on Sprouts, I can't stress how amazing it is to get even like an Instagram message to be like, hey, loved your product or you know what I mean? That's so so much fuel for this journey. Every time we get a few of those, it just ramps you back up and recharges you. It's so cool when you get those things. I, I can't stress enough. If you like a product, anyone listening, please give people feedback because it it really will help them along this journey.
1: Great point. Let's talk about branding for a minute. Obviously, you guys are experts in this space. The branding for Sea Monsters looks really cool. How important is branding even at the very beginning? And what do founders need to get right around branding in order to build a successful brand?
0: So when you're walking down the grocery aisle, there's a lot of competing products. Ultimately, does your product stand out? Before a person knows about your product, right? You kind of know that you're interested in salty snacks or you're in the salty snack aisle, but you've got like 10 different puffs, 20 different chips, however many popcorns. So I think number one, are you standing out? Are people seeing you? And then are you conveying what you are? Are you a chip? Are you a puff? At that point it becomes like, are you conveying the messaging that you need to, to the consumer to help them make a very quick decision? Like, oh, I'm interested in you. Oh, I know what you are. You're organic, you're non-GMO, you're a seaweed puff or you're a potato chip, whatever you are. And then what makes you stand out, right? So for us, it's the seaweed puff, sea monsters, the actual monsters on the packaging because they're like, we've never seen this before. And then carrying through that storyline On the back of pack is also really important. So if you have new hero ingredients, let's talk a little bit about those ingredients. And if you have any call-outs, whether it's certifications, you want to make that really clear. But you want to do that in a way that is really easy to read hierarchically. So you're not cramming a ton of information. It's kind of visual design principles. That it's easy for someone to go from one piece of information to the next pretty seamlessly and organically because you're guiding them there through the size, color, layout of your design. It seems like a pretty simple thing to design packaging, but actually a lot goes into messaging, hierarchy, color palette. How big the, should the logo be? How big should be the characters be? How big should be the puffs be? Our sales team took us on, even before they tried the puffs, because they're like, oh my God, you've got branding down pat. And that is how you're going to capture people's attention, whether it's distributors or consumers in the retail aisle. So you got to make it pretty grabby. It's got to look good. It's got to get your attention, but it also has to convey like what you are. But having said that, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to get a redo. So it's going to be expensive for you to change plates on your packaging, but you can always do it. It just costs a little bit more. I think the way to do it is not to confuse your customer. So the principle of branding is you don't want to change too many things so that you're making your consumer do too much work. Again, consistency is key over a long period of time. So they understand what your brand is called, what product you're offering, what flavors you're offering, and why I should care. So I think if you establish strong messaging visually and through copy from the get-go, and then you execute against that very consistently, it will eventually sink in. Maybe not the first time, the second time, third time. Remember, like consumers are not there like trying to study the, the brands that are out there. The average person just wants to like get in and out of a grocery store. Sometimes right. they're like they stop because they're interested, but really you have very little time. You can experiment for sure, but don't be inconsistent know your story, know what you want to sell and be bold about it.
3: The one thing I can add is there's so many good products out there, but there aren't that many great brands. I think a lot of people put out product, but don't understand that to most people, what they're looking for is a brand, like the story, what does it represent? It's like having a friend. The friend does this thing, has this face, they have this personality. It has to be three-dimensional rather than a single part of that friend. If you're trying to build a friend for somebody as a brand, make sure you build all parts of, of that friend rather than just a hand. And that's something you just have to keep remembering, I guess.
0: And it's also how relevant are you? How much longevity are you gonna have as a brand if you're just product focused? You're not going to because there's gonna be another product like two, three, four, five years down the line that's gonna be cheaper and maybe better than yours. But if you build a brand, and you engage with your customer and you, you develop that loyalty because they believe in your brand, then it has more legs.
2: I really like the points you mentioned. I think these are great questions that founders should be asking themselves. Building on that point, aside from sales, how do you know that a brand strategy isn't working?
0: From our experience as branding folks, is if your teammates, if your company can't get behind the brand strategy, then it's not working. Because for whatever reason, the product is not good enough, or your direction, your sales direction is not good enough, or your product story isn't good enough, or your brand story isn't good enough. Creative people use the word gut check a lot. You know it when you, when you feel it. Like when we landed on Sea Monsters, when we landed on the, the packaging, when we landed on the mission, the ingredient, and why it felt right, and it felt good. As co-CEOs of Sea Monsters, John and I, we're constantly gut checking that. Like, does this feel right? does it feel right for us to be an Amazon right now at this margin? Who is our customer here? We're constantly gut checking. And I think you'll know. And also like about your team, are they excited? If you don't have a team that's excited, whether it's outsource sales team or internal sales director or director of ops, are they excited because they believe in this product and the messaging behind the brand? But yes, ultimately the sales Sales is the scorecard, but you can get to sales in so many different ways. And that's integral to brand strategy. But I think there's also a brand strategy gut check that you have to do as CEOs. And for John and I, our background is not numbers focused. So that's not the way we approach it. Although numbers are an important part of our story because sales is important and that's numbers. There's a sense of why are we doing this? Like, and where do we want to be? We're trying to create a story for ourselves. Five years down the line, how do we see ourselves? And what is the best scenario? What is like the best place we can be? And then if we're really excited about that, then we have a roadmap. The how will come later and will change every year. So I think part of it is leadership, really. Like how aligned is leadership? How aligned is that leadership to the team? And then to all the support people that you've built around you.
3: And I want to jump in and say, it's important to remember that brand strategy can change. Brands shouldn't be stuck with like this one thing, this massive thing that they built and they ha- everyone has to coalesce around this thing. A brand is an organic thing. You look at so many brands that have pivoted and been become far more successful at more things down the line. I think it's important to not get disheartened and say, oh no, it's not working. Woe is me. This is The brand is dead. You could instead ask yourself, like, how can we change this? How, where is it that we want to go? And just as long as you have that North Star and you constantly ask yourselves what that North Star is and you challenge yourself, I think that's, that's when you know the process is working.
2: I think your point about brand strategy being an organic thing will resonate with a lot of listeners. I agree it's important to be flexible and adaptable. We often hear that a brand has to be both authentic and differentiated. Which is more important for a brand?
0: I would say authenticity, one, because if you're authentic and You're individuated, then it's going to be differentiated. I think just you have to live your truth. Otherwise, the differentiation is superficial. If the founders don't believe in what they're doing and it's true to their background and story, then it's going to percolate through the brand. Customers have gut intuition, like we have gut intuition. You can read that, maybe not the first year, but over time, you can sense it. So I think differentiation comes from authenticity because again, every brand is different individual. Even in the same category, the inspiration is different. It might not be a founder. It might not be as personal of a story as it is for us. But oftentimes I find that the best brands are founded by people with very personal stories. And they believe in that a wholeheartedly, 100%.
1: What's next for Sea Monsters? What do you guys got plans that you can share with us?
0: We've opened a lot of doors, so we're going to support those doors, um, whatever that means. So that's really important to us that if we said yes to opening up a door, that we're giving them the support um, mm-hmm. that they need to trial and to really incentivize their customers to pick us up because we're a new brand. We're beefing up the team. We'll be really targeting marketing next. That's exciting. We're developing a inflatable character that'll be walking the shows with us and that okay. we're really excited about. We're building out a demo team. Once people try us, they'll get us and we have great merch. So there's an opportunity to kind of leverage merch there. We have tons of product innovation we wanna do, but we're trying to kind of keep ourselves in check because we just launched Puffs. And we wanna make sure we give Puffs the the sort of due support that we need for the next couple of years. Really excited to brainstorm that, but just kind of making sure that we build a business that is scalably growing, but is efficiently growing but also making sure that we have structures in place because we're such a small team so that our team members feel motivated, incentivized, and empowered to do their jobs well because we hired them to do what they do best. So I think it's really just about figuring out how to grow the team, make sure we're all working in sync and supporting the doors that we have.
3: As we go down this journey, it's really important for us to sort of keep in mind what brought us here in the first place. I think we were mentioning earlier that Gia and I went surfing today. We've been blocking out time to enjoy this journey and try and find time for ourselves and our families because this entrepreneur journey is really lonely and very stressful. So many people jump into it thinking, oh, you know, it'll be easy or whatnot. But It's all encompassing and it comes at you at all times of days. One of the things that's important for us is to block out time for ourselves and to try and enjoy this journey because this, this is a very unique journey.
0: I think the the trope or the cliche is work hard, play hard. There's some of that in there, but it's also just understanding that we're human beings and the people that work with us are human beings and they're three dimensional too. I want them to have interests. Our director of ops is a big climber, so like you know, if he needs a day to go do this epic three day hike, I'm like, go for it. Ultimately, you'll be a better director of ops for having that because I'm a better CEO for having surf today because I was feeling really like excited and overwhelmed the last two weeks. And then I went surfing. And it's funny when you're sitting on a board and you're floating on the ocean, there's something about the energy of the, the ocean that kind of transfers through your body. I was super calm coming home and it was good because I was like, oh, I feel like really good right now. Like yeah. all that stress I was feeling this morning and yesterday, because I have like a massive to-do list feels approachable like I can do it I can do what I can today so I think you need these like moments of stepping away so that you can have that kind of perspective to say actually it is fun and I can do this and it is overwhelming but like we can manage this so I encourage everyone that works with us to go block out four hour times if you need to go do something else that'll make you like clear your head and get you in the game again because you need that.
1: John and G.A., thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. We look forward to trying Sea Monsters and following your success and look forward to all the great things that you're going to do next.
2: Thanks, you guys. It's been such a pleasure. This concludes our interview with John and G.A. from Sea Monsters. Thank you all for listening.
1: Please subscribe for more episodes of the Consumer Rundown podcast and visit us at consumerrundown.com. See you next time.